This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Mysterious Island by Jules Verne. Part 1. Chapter 16. It was the 6th of May, a day which corresponds to the 6th of November in the countries of the Northern Hemisphere. The sky had been obscured for some days, and it was of importance to make preparations for the winter. However, the temperature was not as yet much lower, and a centigrade thermometer, transported to Lincoln Island, would still have marked an average of ten to twelve degrees above zero. This was not surprising, since Lincoln Island, probably situated between the thirty-fifth and fortieth parallel, would be subject, in the southern hemisphere, to the same climate as Sicily or Greece in the northern hemisphere. But as Greece and Sicily have severe cold, producing snow and ice, so doubtless would Lincoln Island in the severest part of the winter, and it was advisable to provide against it. In any case, if cold did not yet threaten them, the rainy season would begin, and on this lonely island, exposed to all the fury of the elements, in mid-ocean, bad weather would be frequent and probably terrible. The question of a more comfortable dwelling than the chimneys must therefore be seriously considered and promptly resolved on. Pencroft naturally had some predilection for the retreat which he had discovered, but he well understood that another must be found. The chimneys had already been visited by the sea, under circumstances which are known, and it would not do to be exposed again to a similar accident. Besides, added Cyrus Harding, who this day was talking of these things with his companions, we have some precautions to take. Why, the island is not inhabited, said the reporter. That is probable, replied the engineer, although we have not yet explored the interior. But if no human beings are found, I fear that dangerous animals may abound. It is necessary to guard against a possible attack, so that we shall not be obliged to watch every night, or to keep up a fire. And then, my friends, we must foresee everything. We are here in a part of the Pacific often frequented by Malay pirates. What? said Herbert. At such a distance from land? Yes, my boy, replied the engineer. These pirates are bold sailors as well as formidable enemies, and we must take measures accordingly. Well, replied Pencroft, we will fortify ourselves against savages with two legs as well as against savages with four. But, Captain, will it not be best to explore every part of the island before undertaking anything else? That would be best, added Gideon Spilett. Who knows if we might not find on the opposite side one of the caverns which we have searched for in vain here? That is true, replied the engineer. But you forget, my friends, that it will be necessary to establish ourselves in the neighborhood of a watercourse, and that, from the summit of Mount Franklin, we could not see towards the west either stream or river. Here, on the contrary, we are placed between the Mercy and Lake Grant, an advantage which must not be neglected. And besides, this side, looking towards the east, is not exposed as the other is to the trade winds, which in this hemisphere blow from the northwest. Then, Captain, replied the sailor, let us build a house on the edge of the lake. 
neither bricks nor tools are wanting now. After having been brickmakers, potters, smelters, and smiths, we shall surely know how to be masons. Yes, my friend, but before coming to any decision we must consider the matter thoroughly. A natural dwelling would spare us much work, and would be a surer retreat, for it would be as well defended against enemies from the interior as those from outside. That is true, Cyrus, replied the reporter, but we have already examined all that mass of granite, and there is not a hole, not a cranny. No, not one, added Pencroft. Ah, if we were able to dig out a dwelling in that cliff, at a good height, so as to be out of the reach of harm, that would be capital. I can see that on the front which looks seaward. Five or six rooms. With windows to light them, said Herbert, laughing and a staircase to climb up to them," added Neb. "'You are laughing,' cried the sailor. "'And why? What is there impossible in what I propose? Haven't we got pickaxes and spades? Won't Captain Harding be able to make powder to blow up the mine? Isn't it true, Captain, that you will make powder the very day we want it?' Cyrus Harding listened to the enthusiastic Pencroft, developing his fanciful projects. To attack this mass of granite, even by a mine, was Herculean work, and it was really vexing that nature could not help them at their need. But the engineer did not reply to the sailor except by proposing to examine the cliff more attentively, from the mouth of the river to the angle which terminated it on the north. They went out, therefore, and the exploration was made with extreme care over an extent of nearly two miles, but in no place in the bare, straight cliff could any cavity be found. The nests of the rock-pigeons which fluttered at its summit were only, in reality, holes bored at the very top and on the irregular edge of the granite. It was a provoking circumstance, and as to attacking this cliff, either with pickaxe or with powder, so as to effect a sufficient excavation, it was not to be thought of. It so happened that, on all this part of the shore, Pencroft had discovered the only habitable shelter, that is to say, the chimneys, which now had to be abandoned. The exploration ended. The colonists found themselves at the north angle of the cliff, where it terminated in long slopes, which died away on the shore. From this place, to its extreme limit in the west, it only formed a sort of declivity, a thick mass of stones, earth, and sand, bound together by plants, bushes, and grass, inclined at an angle of only forty-five degrees. Clumps of trees grew on these slopes, which were also carpeted with thick grass. But the vegetation did not extend far, and a long, sandy plain, which began at the foot of these slopes, reached to the beach. Cyrus Harding thought, not without reason, that the overplus of the lake must overflow on this side. The excess of water furnished by the Red Creek must also escape by some channel or other. Now the engineer had not yet found this channel on any part of the shore already explored, that is to say, from the mouth of the stream on the west of Prospect Heights. The engineer now proposed to his companions to climb the slope, and to return to the chimneys by the heights, while exploring the northern and eastern shores of the lake. The proposal was accepted, and in a few minutes Herbert and Neb were on the upper plateau. 
Cyrus Harding, Gideon Spilett, and Pencroft followed with more sedate steps. The beautiful sheet of water glittered through the trees under the rays of the sun. In this direction the country was charming. The eye feasted on the groups of trees. Some old trunks, bent with age, showed black against the verdant grass which covered the ground. Crowds of brilliant cockatoos screamed among the branches, moving prisms, hopping from one bough to another. The settlers, instead of going directly to the north bank of the lake, made a circuit round the edge of the plateau, so as to join the mouth of the creek on its left bank. It was a detour of more than a mile and a half. Walking was easy, for the trees, widely spread, left a considerable space between them. The fertile zone evidently stopped at this point, and vegetation would be less vigorous in the part between the course of the creek and the Mercy. Cyrus Harding and his companions walked over this new ground with great care. Bows, arrows, and sticks with sharp iron points were their only weapons. However, no wild beast showed itself, and it was probable that these animals frequented, rather, the thick forests in the south. But the settlers had the disagreeable surprise of seeing top stop before a snake of great size, measuring from fourteen to fifteen feet in length. Neb killed it by a blow from his stick. Cyrus Harding examined the reptile, and declared it not venomous, for it belonged to that species of diamond serpents which the natives of New South Wales rear. But it was possible that others existed whose bite was mortal, such as the deaf vipers with forked tails, which rise up under the feet, or those winged snakes, furnished with two ears, which enable them to proceed with great rapidity. Top, the first moment of surprise over, began a reptile chase with such eagerness that they feared for his safety. His master called him back directly. The mouth of the Red Creek, at the place where it entered into the lake, was soon reached. The explorers recognized on the opposite shore the point which they had visited on their descent from Mount Franklin. Cyrus Harding ascertained that the flow of water into it from the creek was considerable. Nature must, therefore, have provided some place for the escape of the overplus. This doubtless formed a fall which, if it could be discovered, would be of great use. The colonists, walking apart, but not straying far from each other, began to skirt the edge of the lake, which was very steep. The water appeared to be full of fish, and Pencroft resolved to make some fishing-rods, so as to try and catch some. The northeast point was first to be doubled. It might have been supposed that the discharge of water was at this place, for the extremity of the lake was almost on a level with the edge of the plateau. But no signs of this were discovered, and the colonists continued to explore the bank, which, after a slight bend, descended parallel to the shore. On this side the banks were less woody, but clumps of trees here and there added to the picturesqueness of the country. Lake Grant was viewed from thence in all its extent, and no breath disturbed the surface of its waters. Top, in beating the bushes, put up flocks of birds of different kinds, which Gideon Spilett and Herbert saluted with arrows. One was hit by the lad, and fell into some marshy grass. Top rushed forward, and brought a beautiful swimming bird of a slate color, short beak, very developed frontal plate, 
and wings edged with white. It was a coot, the size of a large partridge, belonging to the group of macrodactyls which form the transition between the order of wading birds and that of palmipeds. Sorry game, in truth, and its flavour is far from pleasant. But Top was not so particular in these things as his master's, and it was agreed that the coot should be for his supper. The settlers were now following the eastern bank of the lake, and they would not be long in reaching the part which they already knew. The engineer was much surprised at not seeing any indication of the discharge of water. The reporter and the sailor talked with him, and he could not conceal his astonishment. At this moment Top, who had been very quiet till then, gave signs of agitation. The intelligent animal went backwards and forwards on the shore, stopped suddenly, and looked at the water, one paw raised, as if he was pointing at some invisible game. Then he barked furiously, and was suddenly silent. Neither Cyrus Harding nor his companions had at first paid any attention to Top's behaviour, but the dog's barking soon became so frequent that the engineer noticed it. "'What is there there, Top?' he asked. The dog bounded towards his master, seeming to be very uneasy, and then rushed again towards the bank. Then all at once he plunged into the lake. "'Here, Top!' cried Cyrus Harding, who did not like his dog to venture into the treacherous water. "'What's happening down there?' asked Pencroft, examining the surface of the lake. "'Top smells some amphibious creature,' replied Herbert. "'An alligator, perhaps,' said the reporter. "'I do not think so,' replied Harding. "'Alligators are only met with in regions less elevated in latitude.' Meanwhile Top had returned at his master's call, and had regained the shore. But he could not stay quiet. He plunged in among the tall grass, and, guided by instinct, he appeared to follow some invisible being which was slipping along under the surface of the water. However, the water was calm. Not a ripple disturbed its surface. Several times the settler stopped on the bank and observed it attentively. Nothing appeared there was some mystery there. The engineer was puzzled. "'Let us pursue this exploration to the end,' said he. Half an hour after, they had all arrived at the southeast angle of the lake, on Prospect Heights. At this point the examination of the banks of the lake was considerably finished, and yet the engineer had not been able to discover how and where the waters were discharged. "'There is no doubt this overflow exists,' he repeated. "'And since it is not visible, it must go through a granite cliff at the west.' "'But what importance do you attach to knowing that, my dear Cyrus?' asked Gideon Spilett. "'Considerable importance,' replied the engineer. "'For if it flows through the cliff there is probably some cavity, which it would be easy to render habitable after turning away the water.' "'But is it not possible, Captain, that the water flows away at the bottom of the lake,' said Herbert, "'and that it reaches the sea by some subterranean passage?' "'That might be,' replied the engineer. "'And should it be so, we shall be obliged to build our house ourselves, since nature has not done it for us.' The colonists were about to begin to traverse the plateau to return to the chimneys, when Top gave new signs of agitation. He barked with fury, and before his master could restrain him, 
he had plunged a second time into the lake. All ran towards the bank. The dog was already more than twenty feet off, and Cyrus was calling him back, when an enormous head emerged from the water, which did not appear to be deep in that place. Herbert recognized directly the species of amphibian to which the tapering head, with large eyes, and adorned with long, silky moustaches, belonged. "'A lamentin!' he cried. It was not a lamentin, but one of that species of the order of cetaceans, which bear the name of the dugong, for its nostrils were open at the upper part of its snout. The enormous animal rushed on the dog, who tried to escape by returning towards the shore. His master could do nothing to save him, and before Gideon Spilett or Herbert thought of bending their bows, Top, seized by the dugong, had disappeared beneath the water. Neb, his iron-tipped spear in his hand, wished to go to Top's help, and attack the dangerous animal in its own element. "'No, Neb,' said the engineer, restraining his courageous servant. Meanwhile a struggle was going on beneath the water, an inexplicable struggle, for in his situation Top could not possibly resist, and judging by the bubbling of the surface it must also be a terrible struggle, and could not but terminate in the death of the dog. But suddenly, in the middle of a foaming circle, Top reappeared. Thrown in the air by some unknown power, he rose ten feet above the surface of the lake, fell again into the midst of the agitated waters, and then soon gained the shore, without any severe wounds, miraculously saved. Cyrus Harding and his companions could not understand it. What was not less inexplicable was that the struggle still appeared to be going on. Doubtless the dugong, attacked by some powerful animal, after having released the dog, was fighting on its own account. But it did not last long. The water became red with blood, and the body of the dugong, emerging from the sheet of scarlet which spread around, soon stranded on a little beach at the south angle of the lake. The colonists ran towards it. The dugong was dead. It was an enormous animal, fifteen or sixteen feet long, and must have weighed from three to four thousand pounds. At its neck was a wound, which appeared to have been produced by a sharp blade. What could the amphibious creature have been, who, by this terrible blow, had destroyed the formidable dugong? No one could tell, and much interested in this incident, Harding and his companions returned to the chimneys. End of chapter.